James Harden's going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... Wilson paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 Find a home. So, he probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think agency. he could have got a lot more in the offseason. Wow. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to No question. What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos's very own The Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, we have two special guests. We have, I believe, two ninths of No Ceilings, you know, those guys are really churning out, doing great work with the NBA draft, with college basketball, with the NBA. They do a little bit of everything. I'd be remiss if I didn't have at least two of them on. Now I need to work on getting the other seven. I have Tyler Metcalf and Tyler Rutger. So how are you guys each doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for, for having us on, Stephen. I was waiting to see if Metcalf was going to jump at the the first time to give his thoughts, but Really excited to be on here and, um, you know, talk some basketball and specifically some draft prospects. Yeah, doing fantastic. Just thrilled to have basketball back. And, you know, we're just uh, we're, we're very close to getting all of basketball back. So just a, a really fun time of the year. Yeah. So we have about 12 days until college basketball season is upon us. And this is my first segment. I'm doing five separate episodes of a college basketball preview. So I figured this one would be best where. We give you guys some background knowledge on which, obviously, everyone at this point I definitely knows Victor Wambayama. Most people know Scoot Henderson. So let's talk about the prospects to watch in college basketball realm. Um, obviously, you know, with the G League Ignite, with Overtime Elite, Wambayama's in the French League. Not everyone's taking the college basketball route nowadays. So let me start you guys with this question. It was actually, I tweeted out some mailbag, um, asking for mailbag questions, and one of my buddies, Crosby, tweeted this one in me, and it's actually a good question for somebody who isn't as well-versed in the draft. Obviously, you know, I'm a front office podcast, so I am I dabble with the draft. I, you know, I do my big board. I'm not an expert by any means, but it's tough. So actually, first, let me ask you guys this. How, how difficult is it scouting year-round? I mean... I can't even really do my evaluations yet because I like seeing these guys in college basketball, you know, seeing them at the next level. You guys are scouting them from high school or the, you know, FIBA U18s. Like, how difficult is that compared? Like, obviously, evaluations change. So the more you see a player in college basketball or at a higher level, they, I, I feel like the easier it is to see some skills translating, some skills not translating. So that's my first question. So. Metcalf, I'll start with you just because you're closer to me on the Zoom screen. Um, How's that process? I mean, scout, again, I do my big boards, I do my scouting, but I admittedly only really do it during the season. I mean, again, I'm a big front office guy, so I have NBA free agency and salary cap stuff that I focus on during the um, offseason. So just what's that process like for you? Um, it can be an absolute nightmare at times, uh, <laughs> to, to put it lightly. Um, during, uh, I, I think it was before we started recording our our last uh, conference preview episode over at 
no ceilings. Uh, Rucker and I were talking beforehand, like, man, I just, I can't grind out any more high school film. Like this is exhausting. Um, so last year was the first time I really went deep with like high school film, um, just cause I really wanted to get a good sense of these guys going into the season. So from that standpoint, I think it's a really helpful tool and kind of really can help put you in the right place to, go into the college season with guys to highlight, you know, weaknesses to look for, see what guys have improved on over the last year or two years. Um, So it just kind of gives you a nice framework, but I I definitely wait what they do in college a little more because just the, the level of athleticism, physicality, size of their opponents is so much greater. Mm -hmm. And then I think something that gets slept on a lot too is just the level of coaching and the types of schemes on both ends of the floors that these guys are running and facing on a nightly basis is way more advanced than what they see in high school. So I think the individual skills can tend to shine a little more in high school. And that can be a really good sense of, oh, this guy can do that. And then, you know, they go into college and it's a little more of a team oriented system. And we don't see that as much of mm-hmm. as much from them in their freshman year, but they go one and done. It's just kind of nice to keep that in the back of your mind of, okay, well, I know in high school, he had this really prominent offensive role. So he has some of this on ball creation stuff to his game, even though he didn't show it in college. So I, I don't, I just kind of use it as like a framework to build expectations for these guys but it it, it's tough just the the quality of basketball is a lot less obviously because these kids these are kids um and i I definitely end up waiting whether it's overseas or college or g league or whatever um definitely a little more than the high school tape yeah and rucker i'm gonna get to you in one second but in case you guys haven't noticed i'm saying metcalf rucker it's easier for me than saying tyler and have them both talk over each other we Um, appreciate that i promise (laughs) yeah so i feel like floor spacing going back to what metcalf said you know um obviously the higher level you play at the more spaced out the floor is going to be and that makes the game so much easier for everybody obviously the nba is way more fast-paced than college basketball or high school is so Rucker do you have anything to add to what Metcalf said no I mean he he he's a smart guy that's why I like to do a podcast with him so much um you know Tyler brought up a great point when it when it comes to evaluating these prospects early on like yes I I'm so tired of high school tape because it's all me and Metcalf have been watching and talking about for the last three plus months but it's important to understand what type of players these guys are going to be, what what they can do right now, because front offices are also watching these guys in high school. They want to get an education of what type of player they are from even some of these guys are playing in FIBA with Team USA, um, or if they're an international prospect, they've been playing for their country overseas. So, you know, some of these guys going to college are, go- are not going to have great seasons. It, it's just the harsh truth of all of this. But you need to have that education of, well, maybe it was just a bad fit. Maybe it was one bad season. Peyton Watson, me and Metcalf talk a lot about, he ended up being a first-round pick. Probably had a one of the worst seasons statistically of any first-round pick we've seen in a long time. But, you know, he ended up in a great place. But it was off of that, you know, predetermined film and what the expectations were with his skill set moving forward. So, yeah, it's just really, it's really important to 
kind of have an understanding of what these guys are heading into the college basketball season. Cause some of them are going to take a huge step forward and be awesome this year. Some of them might take a step back, but you know, it, it it's a bigger picture than just this one season. Okay. So you just mentioned, you know, the FIBA U18s, the U19s, you said guys, you're a helpful stock. So let me tie in now the mailbag question that I got that specifically addressed to you guys. Basically asking, again, we know Victor Wambayama, we know Scoot Henderson, we know the Thompson twins. Who's the best prospect in college basketball this year? So one guy, I know in the draft guide, Rucker, you said that Cam Whitmore was going to be the third pick in the mm-hmm. draft, and Metcalf said Derek Whitehead. So I feel like those are going to be your two answers individually. But Cam Whitmore, for example, is a guy who really, I feel like, helped to stock in the U18 FIBA. So my first question, uh, let's this time start with Rucker. Is that a fair assessment? You think Derek, um, yeah, Derek, no, you had Cam Whitmore. Sorry, I'm yes. getting you guys confused now. You had Cam Whitmore's number three pick, really helped himself in the U18s. Is that, you know, to you, the best prospect in college basketball? I think he is. Um, you know, it's funny you brought up two prospects that me and Metcalf both love. So this is going to be yes. really fun to talk about. So I could talk about either of them. But with Whitmore, he just has the foundation to really blossom if he can take that next step. Now, a lot of things need to go in the right direction. But he's, you know, six seven, six eight, about 225. He's really tough. Um, he's got great athleticism. It's just that outside shot. If If it can take the next step forward and be become more consistent, which we saw this summer um, with him playing in FIBA. It looked fantastic. He was putting up some big numbers, but he's got all the tools to have NBA front offices drooling and, and he's nasty. He is a highlight machine when he has a clear, you know, head of steam to attack the lane. So I think Whitmore is going to impress a lot of people. He's got that thumb surgery. I think it is Metcalf the thumb, right? So he's going to have a little bit of a, you know, he's going to wait a little bit, a little bit of a postponed start to his season. But once he hits the ground for the Wildcats, I think he's going to just explode. Boy, do I wish that he was being coached by Jay Wright. I mean, I've said it a million times. Not only I did an episode a while back where I ranked basically just basketball coaches in general between college basketball and the NBA. I had Jay Wright number one overall coach. Just because I was basically I was ranking it based off of what their role is, what they're supposed to do. So his Jay Wright's job is not only to win national championships, but prepare guys for the NBA. And every guy that comes out of Villanova, I know I think Whitmore would actually be one of the first, if not the first, one and done at Villanova. But you know, you have Mikhail Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo, Ryan Archidiakono is still kicking with the Knicks. I mean, all these I know I'm missing a whole bunch of guys, but I just preface that to say there's so many guys that come out of Illinois that are just Josh Hall that are guaranteed to be NBA players. And I just wish for Whitmore that he got that J Red experience. And I do hope it's more of a program thing than a coaching thing. So let's move on to Derek Whitehead. So Metcalf, is that your best prospect in college basketball? And if so, what do you like about him? Oh God, it's so close. Um, it's either him or Jairus Walker for me, um, but I, I, I give Dariq just the slight edge. Um, I, 
I just love everything this dude does. Uh, the the main, I think he has just an absolutely incredible work ethic. And I think that really shines through when you look at what his jumper looked like when he was a junior and compare it to what it was as a senior. Um, I know the shooting numbers weren't super impressive for him, but I think a lot of that more so comes down to shot selection than actual mechanics or ability because he was hitting movement threes, you know, standstill off the catch, step backs, pull-ups, the variety of his shot selection um, and ability to get shots off uh, was so significantly different between his junior and senior year. So that just leap in offensive growth in one year, I think is incredibly encouraging. Um, And then I think he's going to be an awesome defender too. So I I think this dude has the athleticism, the scoring, the defense, everything you want out of, you know, your, your star wing six, seven, 190 pounds, small forward. Um, I, so yeah. And I, I think it's a foot injury that he's coming back from. So hopefully that, you know, feet, Foot injuries are always a little scary, um, but, you know, he's not one of these massive seven footers. So hopefully he comes back, doesn't rush it, uh, looks good. But right now I I would probably have to give him the slight edge as the best prospect in college basketball. It's funny that I, I mean, this is as much of an issue for Derek Whitehead as it is with Cam Whitmore, but I know Rocco just mentioned the shooting. If the shooting comes around, if the shooting comes around, if the shooting comes around, before I say what I'm about to say, everyone go on no ceilings, um, NBA.com right now. Go purchase their preseason draft guide because, one, when I was shocked to see it was only five bucks. I mean, this thing is well worth the money. It's inexpensive. Go get it. Um, but the content in it is also phenomenal. But as you're reading it, again, I do most of my evaluation during college basketball season just because, again, I'm a prosecutor, so... I already am limited on time as is. So this is my second thing and studying for the bar exam, everything like that. It's, it's a lot. So basically I, I, I rely on people on the experts, like you guys, your draft guides, the same, the of the world, the Jonathan Givonis. And I'm looking through the draft guide and I, I have a general idea of a lot of these guys, but every single one I'm reading is switchable on defense can defend one through four. But, you know, shot can't come around or shot 30% from three or Dylan Mitchell, for example. Oh, he can't do anything on offense, essentially. Now, obviously, that's an exaggeration. He's probably going to be a lottery pick. But and then I'm thinking even guys like Scoot Henderson and the Thompson twins with how important shooting is in today's NBA. It's like. These kids grew up watching Steph Curry, but none of them are like elite. Well, obviously, some of them are, but. So many of these top prospects, like Nick Smith, as we just said, Dylan Mitchell, Cam Whitmore, just to name a few. Really, if the shooting comes around, the sky's the limit for a lot of these guys. So how does that factor in? I mean, it's such an important skill. And so not so many, but a decent amount of these top guys really still need to develop that part of their game. So Metcalf, let's start with you. I mean, when evaluating... How much is that lack of an essential skill? Like, I, I remember it used to be so important back in back when we first like were growing up. I'm assuming we're all around the same age. Um, it used to be a bad thing to be like a tweener. Mm-hmm. Now it's like the best thing ever. Like if you can play the four or five, you're versatile now. But it, there always used to be like 
in the guy's weakness section on scouting report is doesn't have an elite skill. And like, sure, you're good at everything, but you're not, you don't have that one elite skill. So how does a lack of one elite skill or the lack of an important skill like shooting or not being able to defend well. I mean, those are such important parts. Like the NBA is so switchable nowadays. Like if you're a switchable wing, you have a spot in the NBA for 12 years nowadays. So if you're a switchable wing, you're going to be drafted higher. You're going to be drafted somewhere. Um, so, I mean, just what's the impact of a guy either not being able to be in that archetype like the three and D where either they just have the three or they just have the D what I mean, what was just your general sentiment of that? Yeah, and you, you're talking about the prospects that I absolutely adore. The the, the guys of who course. do a little bit of everything, who who make everyone else on their team better, but may not be, you know, the number one option. Um, I love, I absolutely love scouting those guys. Um, but, you know, I, I also get in trouble because I also tend to overinflate, you know, their draft stock at times because they're just a personal favorite of mine. Um when it comes to the shooting, it's one of my biggest pet peeves that I'm so guilty of is, oh, well, if the shot comes around, it's like, okay, well, I've also just said that about everyone in the top 60 now. So awesome. Great analysis. That's useless. Um, so I, I've tried to really steer away from that unless there are like major overhauls to the shot that need to be made. And something that like recently in the last couple of years I started doing is almost completely ignoring the actual three point percentage that guys shoot with, because at this stage in their career, I don't think it really matters. Um, and more so instead of that, looking at the process of their shot, try and look at the mechanics. Does it look like they have good shot? Do they have good touch on their floaters and free throws? What types of shots are they taking? Are they taking a bunch of really tough movement threes or step backs or contested stuff um, like a big one with Benedict Matherin last year, he didn't have this elite three point percentage, but he was taking constant, you know, movement threes off screens, fading into the corner, falling away into the stands. So, you know, you just look at the box score. It's like, ah, 36% from three. Good. Not great. Is he really a shooter? But then you like actually watch the tape and you look at what he's being asked to do and the shots that he's taking. It's like, Oh, okay. That's why it's 36%. So at this, this stage in their careers, you know, not all numbers are equated equal. And you just really have to look at what are they doing on the court and less so worry about what's the end result of that specific play. Rucker, anything to add? Yeah, I, I think it's really important as Metcalf saying, you know, with doing a preseason guide, like what we wanted to do at No Ceilings when we we decided to make this preseason draft guide is we want to educate all the fans of like, here's here's the guys we're looking at this year. And if this skill that we are targeting swings in a positive way, he's going to blossom. Like it's really going to help his draft stock. And it's funny because I completely understand what you're saying, Stephen. I'm right there with Metcalf. It's my least favorite thing to say about a guy is like, oh, if the shot comes around. But there's a lot of guys in this class that the shot has to come around. Like Dylan Mitchell has all the tools to be a sensational asset at the NBA level. But the shot, we don't know. So, I mean, he's going to have to show at Texas if, if he has any sort of outside shot that is developing or going in the right direction, he's going to skyrocket up boards. The Thompson twins, we've heard plenty about their shots. Um, Jarris Walker, who Metcalf just praised about Houston, he's one of my favorite guys in this class. It's the shot. Like, it's just a lot of these guys. But 
it's so important what Metcalf just brought up about not getting obsessed with the high school shooting percentages because, you know, probably the top 20 guys that are incoming freshmen, they were all the guys at their school. They were all the, the, here's the ball, get us a bucket. Now they're about to go play somewhere where there's a bunch of those guys trying to take the court at the same time. So you don't want to over obsess with numbers in high school. Yeah. It's great to see a guy putting up 30 a game, but this is where you want to see the the fundamentals come into play and how is he going to adjust with not having the ball in his hands all the time? How does he play with better talent? How is he going to contribute on that side of the court? So yeah, it's very easy to be uh, saying that no one's a Steph Curry out there because those don't grow on trees, but we're just going to have to see this year because you want to understand now of like, Hey, I really like this guy. This is the area I'm watching when it comes to his freshman year. And, and that's what we wanted to do with the, the no ceilings draft guide. Okay. So then let's get into, I suppose the best way to do this is we'll talk about a few guys from each of the power conferences, and then we'll get into like the Jairus walkers, maybe talk about some of the Gonzaga guys, a few guys I have on my list. So we already talked about Derek Whitehead. So Duke guys, um, I'm already blanking on their names. Uh, Kyle Filipowski, which I noticed you guys didn't even, did you have him in the draft guide? Maybe in the, uh, in the, um, the 31 to 60 range, which I don't even see him on there. So Filipowski and um, Derek Lively, that's the one that was escaping me. So, I mean, Lively is obviously the big one to be focusing on right now. Um, you guys pegged him as basically the best run-jump centers to be in the draft since DeAndre Jordan. So, Rucker, how does that impact his draft stock? I mean, rim-running bigs, they're, they're good, but I, I personally prefer, in my evaluations, a stretch big who's more switchable than just a rim-running guy. So... What what's your just opinion of Lively in general? I like him, but I think the the rim running big is becoming extinct. Exactly. Um, you have better have an outside game. You gotta you gotta have a lot of versatility now with with these bigs. Um, every one of them are becoming quicker. They're they're even showing handles now, and you know sometimes they're running the offense from the top of the key. They do a lot, and and that's how the game has evolved. And I think that's where some of us at no ceilings are very high on lively. Some of us are a little cautious because, you know, every NBA franchise and front office, they are always fall in love with the bigs that have good size athleticism. If you could showcase that potential to, to be a franchise building block, teams are going to fall in love with you. It doesn't take much, but now you got to showcase that you can do a little bit more than you know, what bigs or starting centers needed to do 10 years ago. So it's going to be interesting. I I'm a little cautious. I'm on the cautious side. I, I think I have him my late lottery right now, as much as I hate doing preseason big boards, everyone knows that, but if he can showcase that he's going to be this rim protecting big that could also step out and stretch the floor because he looks like he's got a nice little form and outside shot in high school, it gets a little erratic, but he looks like he has that touch. Um, if he can showcase that in his freshman year at Duke, yeah, he's going he's gonna to skyrocket. He's going to go up boards quickly. But 
there's a lot of us that are cautious and that's kind of where I'm at right now. Okay. Metcalf, your opinion of the stretch big, who's more switchable versus the rim runner. I mean, the perfect example that Walbrock was talk- talking that I just thought of was look at Clint Capella already have his minutes decreased for the Atlanta Hawks in favor of Onyeka Kongwu. I mean, I, I think that's a perfect example of Okongu compared very favorably to Bam Adebayo when he was in the mm-hmm. draft just because of his ability to switch. And again, he's not a shooter himself either, but I think he's a better shot at getting it than Clint Capella does. But, you know, he is switchable. So do you have the same sentiment? What's your opinion of Lively? Yeah, and he's he's a really tough one for me. Um, just oh, first on like the overall kind of archetype of centers, I, I always struggle with centers um, because it kind of goes back to like that elite skill that we were just talking about um, earlier too, where, yeah, these guys are elite athletes. They're elite rim protectors. They're elite rim runners, but what else can you do? And today's NBA, it's all about size first and then versatility second. And those two are becoming more and more intertwined with each other where you're getting these seven footers that can run in transition, that can initiate the offense, that can drive from the perimeter, shoot threes. And we're seeing just these guys who rely on pure athleticism kind of fall by the wayside. Um, you know, not completely out of rotations, but out of a lot of starting lineups. And that with that size and athleticism, you have a great starting point of, you know, getting your quote unquote franchise center but you have to develop something else, whether it's really high level passing from the elbow or top of the key or shooting or the ability to attack a closeout and drive. You have to show something else that isn't just athleticism reliant. And that's where I start to get a little worried about Lively. Um, I think his, I think he has some really scary defensive potential. Um, I think he has that athleticism to switch on the perimeter and protect the rim. Um it kind of felt like he went through the motions a lot his senior year when you're the number one overall recruit and you have a commitment to Duke locked up. I, I get it. Um, my bigger concern was that he would just disappear from games on offense. And when I would be scouting specifically him during his games, I would forget that he's on the court. And these are games where I'm not watching anyone else, but him. And I forget that he's out there. That's concerning to me because I'm not sure if that's him just, you know, case of senioritis going through the motions, you know, just trying not to get hurt and just be out there with his guys. Or if that's a bigger issue where he doesn't know how to take over a game and really showcase his athleticism in every level of the offense. Um, I, I think the shot looks good enough where he might not be Carl Anthony Towns from three, but I don't think he's going to be Clint Capella from three. Um, I, I think eventually it gets to a place where, Defenders are going to have to, you know, at least step out to them. Um, how quickly that gets there, it'll be really interesting. But my my biggest concern with him, besides the offensive versatility and stuff like that, is just how just can he take over the game? Can he be the guy? And at that size and that athleticism, he's got to show that. Okay, so the next two guys, I'm going to talk about two more guys in the ACC. First one is to Quavian Smith from NC State and then Baba Miller from Florida State. So Baba Miller, you guys have in the draft guy that, you know, his not comps, but, you know, shades of Jonathan Isaac, Lamar Odom, Denis Alvija from the Wizards. 
I mean, that's the type of guy that I love. A point forward who could handle the ball. It's, again, wing depth. There's, you can't have too much wing depth in the NBA, so those big fours that could handle the ball. Switchable type guys. Love Jonathan Isaac. I know he can't stay healthy again, even get back on the court at this point. But a guy like that, he, I believe in the draft guide, you guys said that he was playing on um, Real Madrid's national team since he was 12. So a guy with a ton of experience. And then Tequavian Smith is a guy that I loved last year. And I was quite frankly, pretty shocked, which I think most people were that he decided to go back to school. He was a little small. And the thing with him was, oh, if he could add weight and, you know, sustain the rigors of playing in the NBA every day. I'm a Sixers fan. He reminded me a ton of what I saw in Tyrese Maxey last year with just the combination of speed and shooting ability. I, I Those are just two guys that I, I haven't done my evaluations yet, but those are two guys that I can't see falling out of my lottery. So I'll, I'll start with Rutger. So what are your just general opinion? Again, I we have some more guys of the other five consciousnesses to go through, so we don't need to take forever, but just what's your opinion of each of those guys? Yeah, I think Boba Miller is probably going to be the wild card. He's sort of becoming a bit of a unicorn in this draft class. Not, you know, obviously everyone's going to talk about how Victor Wembanyama is basically an alien, but right right behind that it's going to be Boba Miller because he's lengthy. He's around 6'11", 7 foot, but he, he looks like a guard the way he moves on the court. So he's got some playmaking upside. He's got some flashes of an outside shot. It needs a little bit of fine-tuning, but it looks promising. Um, he, he can do some special stuff on the court and he's going to a great place that they know how to develop those guys that have that same skill set of that, like point forward, if you want to call it that. And then when you talk about Turkavion Smith, um, I think all of draft community was shocked that he returned and, and all of us at the same time are extremely excited to see what he can do this year because, you know, he needed to add some weight. Um, but I think there's also this. You could say a guy needs to add weight, but he just needs to add strength. Like he just needed an, an off season of putting on some muscle and being able to take on contact. Now, whether that's, you know, gaining 15 pounds or just spending the off season, making his frame tougher. He's just, he's got the potential to be a microwave scorer at the next level. Kind of all these NBA front offices and teams are, are hunting now for Jordan pools, like players with that same skill set. Turkavion's going to be one of those guys, but he needs to showcase that he can do a better job finishing around the basket this year because he was fantastic in the combine last year. Um, that's probably the, the thing that got me so surprised that he decided to go back because I thought he had as good of a combine week as anyone. Yeah. And then he decided to return and I was like, okay, you're, you're betting on yourself and, if he has another good year and, and takes that next step forward, he's going to be a lottery pick. Okay, Metcalf, what's your opinion on Musto? Yeah, and Turquavion is probably at the top of most people's, you know, returners list. Um, if he's not one, he's at least two or three. Uh, one of the most electric scorers in the country. Wouldn't shock me if he led the led the country in scoring this year. Um, insanely quick release on the on the pull up jumper. Uh, I, I think he's a really good playmaker too. It's the at rims finishing that I need to see an improvement on because he just actively avoided contact and made shots way harder than he needed to. So not only was he throwing up bad shots at the rim, he wasn't drawing contact and getting to the line. So that 
willingness to initiate contact, get to the line, get a couple and ones, finish through contact, that kind of stuff is where, you know, I, I need to see the improvement from him. Um, and if he does that, he's probably a top 10 guy. Um, Baba Miller is just, I, I don't know what to do with him. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm intrigued. I'm worried. I'm every emotion possible. Um, I love the defense, love the size, love the athleticism. Um, he's just one of these guys where I, I just need to see it for like five games and, you know, just then I'll just really get a sense of probably what he looks like against this competition um, because there are a lot of different ways his freshman year could go. Um, and I'm not sure any of them would surprise me. Okay. So let's move on to the big 12. The only guy we already kind of touched on Dylan Mitchell. The only guy I really want to talk about is Keontae George, who really seems like he's moving up boards in, you know, recent weeks. I mean, there's some people, I know I asked you guys earlier who's the best prospect in college basketball. There's a lot of people that would say him. So what, what's the sediments? This time I'll start with Metcalf. Um, just Keontae George, give it to me. Give me the spiel. Um, he, he's fascinating. I, I, I love him as an off-ball uh, scorer. Um, he's probably the best shooter out of this freshman class, him or Grady Dick. Um. I, I get kind of a lot of Jaden Hardy vibes with Keontae where I worry about his ability to create his shot, but Keontae is way more competitive on defense where, you know, he fundamentally, he's not awesome. Um, he gets exposed a little bit, but he's always working. He's always playing physical. He's always moving his feet. So the fact that the effort and the intentionality to be a good defender is there is really encouraging for me. Um, I just think he's going to be mostly just kind of an off ball scorer. I don't think the playmaking is there. I don't think the shot creation is necessarily there for him to be a lead guard. Um, but you know, even with that, he's a heck of a player and, you know, just really, really talented shooter. So I, it, it would shock me if he fell out of the lottery. Um, but I'm not sure I necessarily see, you know, best prospect in college basketball, like some others do. Rucker, anything to add? No, I mean, no. I mean, I, I, I really do think like he has the potential to really start to kind of knock on the door of being a top five pick if everything goes right. But I think Metcalf's spot on when you're talking about he competes defensively, but he's going to the right school. He needs to get some fundamentals, some bad habits out of the way, but he can shoot it. And, yeah. you know, we, we just talked about Cam Whitmore is having one of the best summers um, playing overseas. Keontae was right there. Keontae was absolutely sensational playing overseas this summer and put up some big performances. Baylor's got a lot of talent in that backcourt. So he's going to have a, a lot of opportunity to showcase kind of on the national spotlight of what he can do. And there's a lot of talent in the top of this class that, have some question marks shooting wise. So Keontae might be able to take advantage of that. If teams are, are looking for fit when it comes to, Hey, we really need a shooter in our backcourt. Keontae is probably going to have the, the possibility to say, Hey, I'm the best one, you know? So I like his game a lot. Um, I think he's, he's got some, some wiggle. I think I might like him a little bit more than Metcalf. I think Metcalf's a little on the cooler side. So that's where we have some, some differences. Okay, so here's a guy who I know Sam Vecini's been on him since last year when he dominated the NIT. And Rucker, you have him in the draft guide as your biggest sleeper 
and that's Colby Jones. Obviously, I'm moving on to Big East now from Xavier. Steven, you know me too well right now. I'm, I'll come back here anytime. <laughs> so g- give me, again, give me the rundown. Why, why are you, Sam Vecini, so many guys in the industry, so high on Kobe Jones? There's, a, there's always prospects in every draft class that I think some, some fans or evaluators can look over because they might not put up the bigger numbers. But I think it's also important to realize that just because, you know, we're not drooling over, you know, just because we're fascinated about the 20 point per game guy doesn't mean NBA teams aren't going to be looking at a different guy. And I think Colby Jones is one of those gadget players that he just knows how to make winning plays. He knows how to make, you know, extend possessions with hustle. He knows where to be on the court. And I just kind of like the type of talent he potentially could be. Um, Now, he needs to have a, a strong season to, to get up the, you know, in the middle of the first round conversation, if we're going to be like that, I think he's more late first round right now, maybe like a early second round guy, but he's just one of those guys. The more I watch his film, the more I'm like, this is, this is a gamer. This is a, a player that scouts and front offices are going to be higher on than the stats might show because mm-hmm. they, they just understand he puts himself in the right position. He makes an impact without scoring. He does all the little stuff that keeps you around the NBA for 10 plus years. And I think those guys, front offices drool for those guys, not just the guys that put up big stats. They drool for the guys that know how to play basketball and know how to be part of a team and come in early and contribute all over the place. So I think Colby Jones has the potential to do that. Okay. So Metcalf, I, I am going to mention your sleeper, not quite yet. I want to get through the power conferences first because you actually have a mid-major guy as your biggest sleeper. So Big Ten, you guys really sold me in your conference preview of the Big Ten on Jet Howard. So Metcalf, what's what, okay? I, I see he's excited. So we what, just added an hour to the podcast. So here we go. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 this is now my podcast. So I, I, I'm taking it. <laughs> I, I, I love Jed Howard. Um, and I, I know a lot of people are gonna be like, Oh, classic coaches, kid, get, get go, go into the big school because his dad's the coach. He could have gone anywhere he wanted. Um, insane athlete, really good shooter. Um, the off ball defense needs some work, but I think he's going to a good place to get coached up on how to do that and play within a system and play within a team. So I don't really have any major worries about that. I just kind of need to see it. Uh, not much of an on ball creator, but really physical straight line driver. And then as the season progressed at IMG, he showed more willingness and ability to find the open shooters and kick out of drives and create for others. So I I don't think he's ever going to be one of these point forward type guys, but he's someone who can, you know, if when the ball skips to him, he's going to knock down the open three. If they close out hard, he's going to be able to attack the rim aggressively and finish at the rim or punish a rotating defense and kick out to a different shooter or cutter. And then at, I think they have him listed at six, nine um, now, uh, sorry, pulling it up one second, six, eight, two fifteen. Um, that's really good size for a wing. That's already NBA ready size and athleticism, um, on ball defense. He switched a lot on the perimeter. So he's a multi-positional defender. He's just a, a little bit raw right now. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see what type of freshman year he has, because it, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up 
going or staying at Michigan for two years um, and returning for his sophomore season. And if he does, I think he could be a top five, top 10 pick. Um, but I still expect him to be a top 20, top 25 guy this year. Okay. So, yeah. Um, is your dra- if is the draft guide you guys just put out, is that in order based off, you know, pre- I know it's not like a mock draft or anything, but like, is it a general idea of, where guys are going because obviously Wemby's ranked Wemby's number one. He's the first page when you get into it. Scoot's number two. Is can this be taken verbatim as like rankings, or was it just more random than anything? Ooh, Metcalf, do you want to? Answer? I think oh. one through thirty we did Metcalf for rankings, and then maybe I, I think second I believe round we so. Just, yeah, and then the, the, the just, other thirty were just just like, guys to keep an eye yeah. on. Yeah. Because, so Jet yeah. Jet Howard's page. I asked us Jet Howard's page twenty. And it starts on page three, and there's the merch in between that page. So Jed Howard's about 17th for you guys in no ceilings. Um, Rucker, anything to add about Jed Howard? Or Metcalf seems to be the guy who's hired on him out of the two of you? Oh, no, no. Metcalf's done it. He's hyped him up to me, and, you know, I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. When I turned on the tape and finally was like, okay, Metcalf, I'll, I'll watch Jed Howard. I'll give him a shot. I, I'm very intrigued. I think that's going to be a very exciting player to watch and like Metcalf says he's already got the size he's got the athleticism it's just can everything come together quickly can can it all progress throughout the year and if it does he he will be a name that heats up okay and then the other guy in the big 12 that I oh excuse me big 10 I want to discuss is Chris Murray you know Keegan Murray going into last year he was projected to be a huge breakout candidate and then there's always guys, you know, that come out of the blue, like Johnny Davis last year wasn't even really on anybody's radar. And then both since this scene ended being a top 10 pick. So who's hiring Chris Murray between the two of you? Ooh, I, I believe Rucker is. Yeah, I guess I, I'll, I'll say I am, I guess. Okay, so then why? I mean. See, I, I don't think Chris Murray's going to have this season like Keegan did where he just explodes and mm-hmm. all of a sudden becomes a top 10 pick. But I think Chris is the more, I guess, watered down version where it's just he plays the game smart. He can stretch the floor. If he could take that next step, I could see teams hunting him as kind of a rotation asset. Um, it, but I still could see Chris Murray surprising some people and, and having a better year than expecting. But he just showed flashes. Every time I was watching Keegan Murray last year, I was like, oh, Keegan with a great play. And I was like, oh, wait, that was Chris because they look identical, obviously. So um, I, I just think that's the name to keep a close eye on. There's a lot of talent in the Big Ten. A lot of people are going to be excited about a ton of these teams. There's some mm-hmm. some wagons of teams. But Chris Murray, I think, is going to be the little bit of the slept-on prospect that I think is going to make some buzz and, and get some fans in the draft community. So we have the Pac-12 and SEC left. For sake of time, I'm not going to, you know, rattle off because not as much the Pac-12, but the SEC has so many prospects between all the guys on Kentucky and Arkansas and Brandon Miller from Alabama, um, Phillips from Tennessee, just Gigi Jackson. There's just, there's too many guys to go through, obviously. Um, I could talk basketball with you guys all day, obviously. But um, so is there anybody from those conferences? I saw the SEC, I mean... The one guy I did want to talk about, I know Rucker loves him, is Alex Fudge. Just as a sleeper type guy. So, again, anybody who's interested in any of these guys, go purchase the draft guide and no ceilings. 
you could read about Gigi Jackson. You could read about Kaysen Wallace, Chris Livingston, Nick Smith. We'll talk about Nick Smith too a little bit, but what about a guy like Alex Fudge who you can't find in the draft card? What's the appeal about him? I mean, I think me and Metcalf are both are the CEOs of the Alex Fudge fan club. So um, we both love him. He, he went to LSU last year. He showed some, some serious flashes. He is very raw offensively, but defensively he has the potential to be an absolute madman at the NBA level. It's just, can the offense, can we get any progression with the offense? And if he showcases that this year, NBA teams are going to run to go watch Florida because he is so special defensively. I mean, he's lengthy. He has pogo sticks for legs. He's got great athleticism. He's quick, um, great awareness all over the court. Like the shot blocking is just sensational. So you're talking about a guy that could guard a lot of people opposing him and he's just got to show anything offensively because right last year it was just kind of like a, you put him in the corner and you just played him because he was so good defensively. Like he would shut people down. He, he makes energetic plays, but he's the, he's the one that he, I don't even know if he was on our draft guide, but he's top of my list of circle. Like if Alex Fudge shows anything the opening month, I'm going to be like, all right, here we go. I'm ready to jump on the train again. Okay. Metcalf, you have anything to add to that? Fudge. he's just a delight to watch defensively um just his versatility shot blocking defensive playmaking the way he moves his feet rotates off ball um it, it's shocking how polished he is defensively and then how raw he is offensively because i mean you, you couldn't trust him to take a jumper or even dribble more than twice um obviously those are important things to do in basketball so like rucker was saying just have to see how those have improved over the last year and he doesn't have to be Paul George out there, but if he can just take and knock down, a, you know, the occasional corner three or be a little more active cutting or on offensive rebounds, stuff like that. How is he finding ways to get involved and make a contribution on offense? And then I'm going to be just all the way back in again. Okay. As I said, too many guys in the SEC for us to talk about. Nick Smith obviously is one of the top college basketball prospects as well. Big I would probably say combo guard more than a point guard um, from Arkansas. And Jarvis Walker, who we talked about, obviously, University of Houston, now we're out of the power um, the power conferences. Jarvis Walker, same thing I said about Bob Miller, is kind of the guy that I love. A big forward slash wing who could defend one through five, very switchable, can initiate offense. I mean, I, when I first started, like, just looking at mock drafts, big boards for this coming draft, shortly after the, the 2022 draft. I, I believe, I know I keep citing Sam Bassini, but I need to get my money's worth out of my athletic subscription. So, hey, he's a good um, guy. We get yeah, it. He's a smart guy. Sam's but, um, a good guy. Yeah, he had Jarvis Walker, I believe, early second round at the time. And then slowly out of nowhere, I see, like, okay, now this guy has him 20, this guy has him 15. And I'm looking, and you guys have him like top five. So, I suppose what I'm asking is, what about him? I already said what's appealing. He's switchable one through five, initiates offense. Why is he suddenly rising aboard so much? Or is he? Or did you guys just always feel this way about him, and you were just higher than the consensus? The 
the funny thing, and then Metcalf, I'll let you go crazy because you talk smarter than me. The funny thing about Jarris Walker is is how this happens at No Ceilings is we have a group chat and you know we all start watching prospects and then we'll kind of share some thoughts about people that each person likes and you know we got around Jarris Walker got brought up and I was like why does everyone have him so late so then I'm watching more I'm evaluating I'm like this is a top 10 guy for me like I'm in love with him as a prospect I think I text Metcalf Metcalf watches him he's like oh my gosh and then you know finally we bring it to the group and we're like hey everyone watch this guy like why is everyone so high on him like our, our low like why is he going second round to late first like this are we crazy? And me and Metcalf were like, are we nuts? And I'm fine with being crazy, but I was like, do you guys feel the same way? And we all are in love with him as a prospect. Like, and he is just tough. He can do a little bit of everything. I think he's going to get some Scotty Barnes comparisons just because he has that passing and playmaking ability and he's nasty. So Metcalf, I mean, you want to add to that? Cause I know we, we talk about him all the time. We, we absolutely love him. And I think it's, it's going to be that opening month of the season and people are going to be like, Oh my goodness. Who is this guy at Houston? Yeah. And he he's number four for me right now. Um, I'm all the way bought in. Um, and just awesome rebound. So he's like six, eight, two Um, really good rebounder, really good ball handler initiated a lot of IMG's offense, um, would grab and go in transition constantly uh really talented interior scorer great touch with his right hand really really advanced passer especially for his position uh jumped passing lanes made weak side rotation blocks at the rim a good team defender um and then he was also just picking up opposing defenses at point of attack and then just switching everything at the top of the arc where you know opposing offenses would run a pick and roll or dho or you know a weave and he's just switching everything and staying on ball regardless of what if it's the center the point guard the shooting guard small forward didn't matter he was moving his feet picking them up full court locking them down sliding his feet uh you know really quick hands poking the ball loose so defensively alone it's like oh my god this guy is a monster and then you put him in that Houston system with Kelvin Sampson it's like god he's going to be so much fun there then you add in the offensive versatility with the the driving the slashing the cutting the passing all of it's like what else do you need and the big question with him and what i've you know heard from everyone else is what is the shot going to be it looks a little funky he kind of shoots it with a lot of arc um he leans back in his shot a little but the results are a lot more encouraging than the kind of funky form suggests. So I don't think there are any major overhauls he needs to a shot. It's just a few tweaks here and there, because I I think the foundation and the touch on his jumper is good enough. Obviously he's not going to be Kevin Durant or any elite shooter, but it's not going to be a glaring weakness where I I don't see evaluators calling him a, a zero level scorer. You mentioned Kevin Durant. Which reminds me, what the hell happened to Imani Bates? I mean, this guy was, we we just talked about how in the very beginning of this episode, how you guys kind of evaluate from high school and then kind of see how they transform into college. And then obviously see the transformation into an NBA player. Imani Bates won Gatorade Player of the Year as a junior in high school. Like he was paid as the next big thing, the next Kevin Durant. Like, 
I know he was ill-fitted in Penny Hardaway's system. He wasn't ever really a point guard, and that was kind of his demise. And now he's at Eastern Michigan. I just, I don't know what to expect, but we talked about Peyton Watson, how he ended up putting up the worst stats for a first-round pick in quite some time because of how highly touted he was out of high school. And I think Max Christie, similar, can fit that bill as well this past year. So where does Imani Bates end up? I mean, obviously a lot of that, he obviously has legal issues going on now. Um, and obviously a lot of that will determine how he plays for Eastern Michigan this year. So I know it's hard to say, but with a guy who was that dominant in high school, I just can't see him being a second round pick. So I, I guess I'll start with Metcalf. I see both yeah. you guys about to talk at the same time. Metcalf, go ahead. Yeah, and it's it's tough for me. I, I don't have a draftable grade on him right now. Um, and, you know, the, the Intel hasn't been glowing. He's had a rough last year and, you know, it's, it's almost gotten to the point where you just kind of hope that the kid figures it out for himself and finds some happiness, but it, it feels like a symptom of a kid who had his growth spurred a lot earlier than everyone else was really skilled with a basketball and then got way overhyped. Um, I need mean, just just talking about his senior year high school film. I didn't love it. Um, you know, the the highlight reels were insane because at that size, the handle, quick release, and you're just watching all the makes. It's like God, this kid is really talented. But then you factor in the defense, the lack of passing, the shot selection, all the little things that go into productive team basketball, and none of it was really there. So it was always a guy who. It, it feels like he's he hasn't been led in the right directions by some people in his camp, and that sucks because I, I do think there's obviously a really skilled and talented basketball player in there, um, but it doesn't feel like the like it feels like there are a lot of people in his life who are not necessarily looking out for what's best for Imani right now. Rucker, what's your opinion of Bates? Yeah, I, I completely agree with Metcalf. It, it's there's this dangerous world of overhyping a high school kid to you yeah. know be this next big thing. And and me and Metcalf have talked about it a lot on the No Ceilings podcast. And it's unfair to some of these kids that are you know 16 years old getting told that you know they're going to be the next superstar of the NBA's or the greatest since Kevin Durant and LeBron James. And it's like okay, those are pretty lofty expectations to live up to for a 16 year old. And the, the the disappointing thing with with Monty is he's talented, but it just has been a, a bit of a nightmare every step of the way. Like reclassified, joined Memphis early. They put him in a position where it was like, I don't know if this is gonna work out well for him. And then it it really just was a struggle early on. I don't know where he's gonna be at. I, I'm hoping he just gets his head on straight and everything gets behind him because that's more important than just him as a basketball player right now. Once he gets back on the court, I hope he has a good season. I, I hope he yeah. somehow gets drafted. And this is, you know, part of the story that, you know, gets him some success is, you know, almost a wake up call, but it's just been unfortunate. Um, I thought there was a couple routes. He was potentially going to go this off season instead of Eastern Michigan that I was rooting for. And it was, it's just been a weird development. The whole last summer, like all of this, we've all been like, what, what is the deal with the, the Imani situation? And um, I, I think it's, it's the product of being overhyped. Cause I, I, 
I've watched him and I'm not like, eh, I don't, this isn't a lottery guy. This isn't a first round guy. There's going to be a lot of guys that are more ready to take that next step than he is. Makes me think what would have happened if he never declass or declassified for Michigan state. You know, I think Tom Izzo would have done him a lot of good, but Metcalf, we already talked about Rutgers biggest sleeper in the draft guide. You have Tam and Armstrong, somebody who last year really turned some heads when he started playing at Cal Baptist. I mean, obviously super small school. And then all of a sudden it's like, look at some of these passes this guy is making. So what, why Armstrong? What, what appeals? I know the passing is that we talked about that elite skill and that's what yeah. his is, but what do you like about the rest of his game that you think will translate to the NBA? Yes. I'm just the, the, the passing and playmaking is the big one. And at, at his size, that's, you know, we talk about elite skills. That's truly an elite skill. He was the best point guard, best playmaker in the country last year. Um, and I expect that to be the same this year. The It's just, can he figure out a way to score? And at his size, you know, you, you want to see a little more consistency at the rim. You want to see a little more consistency with the shooting. Um, some of the indicators aren't super promising, but, you know, you, you got to hold out hope. Um, but then even defensively, I, I think he has really good footwork. He's not a super versatile defender, but he competes. He's strong. He's physical. He's smart. So he's not a negative by any means. The big thing with me is just that playmaking is at such a different level compared to everyone or compared to all of his peers that it makes him such a special point guard. And I, I just don't see a world in which he doesn't find his way to the NBA in some form or fashion, even if the scoring never comes along that playmaking, that defense, um, that, that defensive upside, it's all there to be at least a backup point guard in the NBA. And then if he figures out how to just hit a stance, standstill three, or be a little more effective with his floaters, I, I think we're talking about one of the most dynamic playmakers coming, c- coming into the draft in recent years. Okay, so I have two more questions before that you guys get out of here. And for Metcalf, Taryn Armstrong might be the answer. For Rucker, it could be Alex Fudge. And if you have the same guy for both these questions, that's okay. My first question is, which prospect do you guys think will rise the most throughout the draft process compared to where they are now, as opposed to where they'll be after the combine and will they get drafted on draft night? And then the other one, just give me a sleeper prospect. So if you just have one guy and you want to combine the questions, feel free. Rucker, I'll start with you. Or if you need more time to think, I'm kind of putting you guys on the spot. So whoever has somebody first. I will say the guy that rises the most from now to the draft is going to be Tyrese Proctor at Duke. Okay. Dyson Daniel Uh, vibes. Yeah, he's just 6'5". Uh, he's been buzzing out of Duke, so it wouldn't shock me if all of a sudden we get some mock drafts around the world where he's already rising. So, um, But where I had him going into the season um, and, and what I've seen and heard, I think he's on the rise in a hurry, especially with Dariq Whitehead out for probably the first month. Proctor's going to have the chance to showcase right away what he can do, and I think he's got some special tools. I'm trying to figure out the other answer. Go ahead, Metcalf. You can you can go, and then I'll find another one. Um, yeah. So I, and the, the, this guy would work for both, but I'll, I'll use him just for one to make sure we get plenty of names in here. Uh, the, I think the guy who will rise the most is going to be uh, Roddy Gale, uh, freshman shooting guard, going to Ohio State. Um, 
I I think he's going to be one of like the surprise one and done guys um, from this class. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he has a Branham esque, um, you know, freshman explosion next year. Uh, not the same player by any means, but it wouldn't. I kind of expect him to take over that Ohio State team as the year progresses. Uh, really good off ball shooter, good scorer, really good defender, moves his feet really well. Um, I think he's like six four, one ninety. So he's kind of, you know, not one of the most prolific uh, or highly rated freshmen coming into the country this year. But I, I think it, come draft time, um, it would not surprise me if people are talking about him as a first rounder. Um, and then just a sleeper, I'll go with Matthew Morrell, shooting guard at Ole Miss, um, going into his junior season, I believe. Uh, really good shooter, good on ball defender, uh, just needs a little more consistency with the shot. It's either really hot or kind of cold. So just finding, you know, the middle ground and being productive every single night is going to be huge for him. But I, I really like what he brings to the table. Okay. I'll, I'll throw my sleeper is uh, JJ Starling of Notre Dame. I really like him. He's got some good size, um, really good feel for the game, can, can light it up in a hurry on the offensive side of the ball. If the defense can come around, he's got the potential to kind of creep up some boards and be a first-round guy because I think he he knows how to score. He knows how to put the ball in the, in the basket. So I'm I'm excited to watch him. Okay. So – First of all, thank you guys so much for coming on. I know No Ceilings is up to a lot of awesome things right now, so I appreciate you guys both taking the time to um, come out and chat hoops with me. Um, as I said, this is the first installment I'm doing of a five-part. This is – obviously, the draft is kind of leans more towards the NDA, but I am a front office podcast. So this is a good segue to get into the college basketball season in general. So um, No Ceilings, you could find both Tyler Rucker, Tyler Metcalf, they, you guys are now doing one podcast feed for all the No Ceilings podcasts, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so you could find them there. Um, anything you guys want to plug? Where can people find you? Rocco, let's start with you. Just no ceilingsmba.com. Um, all of our content's absolutely free. Of course, the draft guide is just five dollars, but it's well worth it, I believe. If as I Stephen said, so, um, other than that, all year long, uh, we've got content that's absolutely free that is educating everyone on the college prospects and getting ready for the upcoming draft class. So yeah, check us out over there. Metcalf, you got anything? Uh, no, just no, no ceilings NBA across all socials, no ceilings NBA.com. It's all free. Um, you just, at, at least something will be published Monday through Friday daily uh, from now until the draft and all of it's free. Just click that subscribe button. Awesome. I will talk to you guys next episode. You can follow me on Twitter at bird rights pod. And I will talk to you guys soon.